This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. When it comes to logistical and administrative affairs, there's, not, there's really no restriction in that regard. Um, as far as sisters being involved in a uh, board or committee capacity, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. There are narrations we've talked about, you know, um, a, a nation will never be, su- never be successful over whom a woman role, rules, etc. But again, this goes back to translation. The wording is very specific, the Prophet uses, and he's talking specifically about government rule and things like that. Um, but at an organizational level, for a sister to be involved in, you know, a management type capacity, like on the board of the committee of the message, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Again, what, the reason why that seems kind of awkward or strange to a lot of people is because maybe from a certain culture or background that they come from. Um, but please understand that those are culture, those are uh, cultural boundaries and restrictions, and that doesn't really have any bearing on the deal whatsoever. Um, in fact, I think it's recommended. Uh, I would personally recommend um, that there be some sister input uh, uh, in terms of managing the masjid. There needs to be youth input in terms of managing the masjid. There needs to be convert input in terms of managing the masjid. Um, and that's the reason why our masajid sometimes are so outdated or so irrelevant or don't cater to the needs of these major demographics in our communities. Um, you know, the irony of how masjids are run today in the U.S. is, it's just, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, we'll have a da'wah committee, but not a single convert on the da'wah committee. I mean, who knows better about da'wah than all Muslims than a convert? But we won't take their input. You know, well, I, I, I've seen Masajid when there's a sister's committee with all brothers on it. I don't understand how that works. You know, it's like having a youth committee with a bunch of uh, older brothers. I'm an older brother. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not a young person by any means. I have kids. I have children. I'm an uncle. Alright, so, but, you know, how can you have youth activities or youth committee or youth decisions being made without any input from the youth, what they need? what their needs are, what's going on with them. So, I don't see any, anything wrong in the restriction. In fact, I would strongly recommend it. Um, the second question was about the khatib workshop. Um, Alhamdulillah, uh, the... Okay. The khatib workshop is a huge blessing and a tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, it's uh, something that I've been thinking about it for a very long time. It's something that I personally did for many, many years. Um, you know, there were, there's a lot of young brothers in the Dallas area who are, mashallah, now part of the steady congregation at the major masajid. Alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity to teach them and mentor them and instruct them in khutbah. And I did this individually for a very long time until one of those brothers um, who I've been, been teaching and mentoring on how to do khutbah you know, he told me, he's like, we need to do this at a larger scale. And so we organized the first company workshop. This was uh, about two years ago. And alhamdulillah, 50, uh, 60 brothers came from even the U.S. and Canada. And uh, we had the first workshop. We just had the last one a little over a month ago during New Year's weekend. And about 100 brothers took that program again from all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, and uh, a few brothers from Houston actually took the program as well. And it was a great experience. I, uh, about sisters... Um, obviously, there won't be a sisters' khatib workshop uh, for obvious reason. Um, sisters don't give khutbah, but 
for a sister's speaking workshop, like a sister's teaching or speaking halaqa type workshop. Because I'll tell you one thing very honestly, you know, I have a mom obviously, I have a wife, I have a sister and I have two daughters. Um, I understand the need for sisters to be able to teach properly and speak properly and lecture properly because I know that need. And in fact, consistently throughout every single one of my programs, there are more sisters in attendance 90% of the time. And some of my best students usually are sisters as well. Not taking anything away from Abdullah Mashallah. Aside from Abdullah. Alright, so... Um, Sisters definitely need instruction. I've been demanding this type of a program. So, next year for the Khatib workshop, simultaneously along with the Khatib workshop, on the side we're also going to be having a sisters speaking, public speaking workshop. Um, a sisters halaqa workshop. That will help sisters uh, give youth lectures, give sisters halaqas, teach at the Sunday school. All these practical needs that sisters have and important roles they need to play, we're going to be having a workshop for sisters as well. Details uh, we should be announcing very soon, inshallah. But if you want to mark your calendar, it will be in the first weekend of October, inshallah. Um, and we will be organizing that for sisters, so you can look forward to that, inshallah. Um, the the more, more information will be posted on the Qalam website, qalaminstitute.org, inshallah. Um, the third question, if you can remind me. Mm. Does a husband have any rights to uh, his wife's earnings? Uh, typically, the understanding in Sharia is that while a husband has a responsibility towards the uh, residence and the finances, the um, expenses and the... Um, uh, what am I thinking of? The living costs, the overhead of the family, including the wife, the wife is not responsible for earning for the family. That's not one of her core responsibilities. So by mutual consent, if a wife does work, whatever earnings that she does gain or she does have, um, they it's not incumbent, it's not, it's not an obligation upon her to contribute that towards the, finan the finances of the family. All right? Having said that, at the same time, we also have to move beyond what's required and we have to think about what's healthy. It's not a healthy attitude for a family and for a couple to be playing mine and yours. Over the long period, it's not a healthy attitude. And remember, whatever you do is exactly what your children see and what they learn. So if your baby does my, 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 and the first time your kids tell you this is mine and not yours, don't slap them. Slap yourself. Alright? Just honest advice. Alright, so in Sharia, in fiqh, no. The wife's money and the wife's wealth cannot be demanded by the husband towards to, to spend towards the family. Sure. But at the same time, they should mutually agree to things and they should mutually discuss things. And it should be a mutual thing. It should not be confrontational. Secondly, can the wife give zakat to the husband? There is a difference of opinion about this matter. Majority of the fuqaha, Majority of the scholars have the opinion that no, a wife should not give zakat to her husband. Because that can be turned into a loophole and can be easily abused and has been abused by many people. There is a valid opinion within fiqh though, because the wife is not responsible for the husband and the finances of the family, that a husband can take zakat from the wife. So it's a legitimate scholarly opinion. Um, however, you should be very careful that that is not utilized as a loophole. 
that then is not treated as a loophole because then remember when you when you use that type when you use something as a loophole like that, you don't trick Allah, you only trick yourself. Alright, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows our intentions and knows what's in our hearts. Okay. Yes, the punishment of blasphemy that's uh, you know practiced in Muslim countries, some of them, what's the basis of that or any background, historical background? Um, you're asking specifically about? You know, if uh, a non-Muslim use you know, bad language or you know, bad things about the prophets is bad things, then the punishment for that is, you know, in some of the Muslim countries is, you know, up to uh, killing of the person. Um, so the brother is asking a question that, uh, well, what about the practice of somebody disrespecting uh, or blaspheming uh, both either Allah or the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam? And the practice in some of some countries of uh, capital punishment for that person. What's the validity? What's the authenticity? What's the proof and evidence for that? The there is an, uh, a narration from the Prophet ﷺ about the Prophet ﷺ emphasizing the Sahaba ﷺ to defend his honor. Um, having said that, at the same time, um, there's a very specific application for any and all such punishments. There are so many, there are certain conditions and requirements that must be in place. For instance, um, any of these punishments can only be enacted and enforced when there is a full Islamic government and it's a majority Muslim society. And there is a full Islamic, not Muslim, but Islamic government which doesn't exist anywhere in the world right now. Um, and again, it's not even necessarily an objective of a Muslim society to establish that type of a government. Uh, justice, equality, fairness, spirituality, family, these are the objectives of Sharia. Uh, Islamic law per se is not an objective of Sharia. Um, so having clarified that, um, there, that is a punishment in a place and in a situation, but unless those prerequisites, those, those conditions are met, that punishment cannot be enacted. And whenever a society or a government takes it upon themselves to enact an Islamic punishment without the prerequisites in place, they are at the risk of con, uh, committing a huge injustice to people. And we have an example in the, from the life of the Sahaba anhu even, during the time of the Khulafa, that sometimes when people would commit such acts, they would, they had the flexibility where they would sometimes make another decision in regards to that person, such as exiling such a person. That only that severe of a step was taken, like in the case of Hussein al-Kadhaf, or someone like that, when that person ends up becoming a major fitna to society, that that person's continued presence in that society will lead to further loss, will lead to a bigger problem. That, 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 that will lead to a greater loss of life and that time that, that person is, is removed as a fitna. Um, and so all these considerations have to be taken into account. We have no further questions. We can allow our kids to have his dinner. Uh, and, uh, and then inshallah we'll end.
brother's asking the question about um, the natural occurring politics and polemics and um, issues that usually plague communities and misogyny uh, all over the world, and it, uh, definitely here in this country from our faith of reference. So what type of advice do, is there for such situations? Um, I mean, rather than any advice I might have, I'll just simply mention what Allah has messenger so long as I'm not mentioned. You know, this is something that's again natural to human beings. It's something that naturally occurs. It's part of human nature that these type of politics arise. I mean, they happen at work, they happen in governments, they happen in homes, they happen in families. So much it's also a social human element. Um, and so it's no different. It's going to come up, it's going to happen. So that, that's a very first, very important thing we have to understand is we can't remove the human element. We have to work around it, we have to manage it. So like uh, Imam al-Shafi'i, you know we often say you should never get angry. That's impossible. You will get angry. Imam al-Shafi'i rahmatullah says, somebody who never gets angry is not even a human, he's a donkey. Right? So getting angry is a human emotion. So politics and disagreements and anger, it's a human emotion. It's going to happen. It's how you manage it. So, what did Allah tell us in the Qur'an? Well, even at the time of the Sahaba, at the time of the Prophet people would have disputes, disagreements with each other. The advice of the Qur'an is uh, very interesting. The very first thing that the Qur'an advises is, when you have a disagreement, two, two ayahs I'll present. One is from Surah Al-Nisa, and the other is from the end of Surah Al-A'raf. Um, the first one in Surah Al-Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, as a leader, as a leader or in a position of leadership, when somebody does something you don't like or somebody disagrees with you, how to handle that, how to manage that. It says, First of all, forgive and forget. Just let it go. Okay, something happened, somebody disagreed, somebody argued with you. Let it go. It's human nature, it happens. What are you going to do about it? The longer you stay stuck on it, the bigger you make the fight. Let it go. Number two, what's up for you? And then make dua for that person. That's something very powerful. Think about it. Yeah, think about it. Okay, so me and you are here. And in a board meeting, we have an argument. Alright? We have an argument. After we have an argument, first thing, gotta let it go. When we leave that, all right, we don't have to necessarily agree. You know the whole, there's just sometimes in different little wisdoms here and there you find. Wherever you pick up wisdom, take it. Wherever you find it, he takes it. You know, we learned this phrase in English, agree to disagree. We should learn something from that. All right, so cordially, Cordially disagreeing with each other, respectfully disagreeing with each other. So it doesn't mean that we leave the meeting that must, one, we have to come to a consensus. Oh, you might disagree. No problem. But we gotta respectfully disagree. When you leave that meeting, that joins the hearts. By shaking the hand and saying salam, that joins the heart. Look in your brother's eyes and say salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Nothing more powerful than that. It reminds you there's something greater than this that unites us. So look in your brother's eyes and say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Let it go, get over it. Not like, 
I'm just not going to talk to him right now. You know? Leave angry. Right? No, no. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Get over it. You know, one of my uh, students, he always says this phrase, get over yourself. Right? We have got to learn to get over ourselves. Put your ego aside. What's up, Sulaiman? And then think about this. When you go home and you're sitting in the night and you're about to go to sleep and you're sitting in your bed and you make a dua before you go to sleep, oh Allah, bless my wife. Oh Allah, bless my kids. Oh Allah, bless my parents. Bless my brother. Bless my sister. Take that brother's name. Oh Allah, bless Abdullah. Bless Abdullah. Make dua for that person that you disagree with. Dua for Think about the sincerity that requires. You want to punch that guy in the face. But you can make dua for his face. Alright? Oh Allah bless that person. What's up for you? And then, here's a t- the test of your sincerity. The next time you've got a meeting going on, you've got to decide something, the community's got to do something, Ask for that person's opinion. You ask for their opinion. Not like, oh, this guy's on the board, he's gonna have his bakwas again, all right, let's hear it, come on, Joe. Right? And then when he starts talking, then you go like this. You know, and when he starts talking, then you go like this. You know, like, yeah, sure, sure, okay, whatever. Now he's done with this garbage. No, 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 no. You ask for his opinion. So you might be leading this meeting, you might be the president of the board, you say, Brother Abdullah, what do you have to say about this? You ask for his opinion. That shows humility. That shows sincerity. You know, if anyone didn't need to ever do mashurat with anyone, it was who? Muhammad Rasulullah You did divine revelation. He didn't need to ask anybody anything. He would ask people's opinions. He would do shura. He would ask people, what do you think? What do you think? He would ask children, what do you think? The life of the Prophet said nobody used to make much more than the Prophet Even at home, he would ask his wives, what do you think we should do? He, when, you know, when, after Surah Hudaybiyah, he needed to make much about getting the Sahaba ready to go back, he asked his wife, what do you think I should do? Make much So you ask for that person's opinion and give value to their opinion. That's one thing, for position of leadership. Next thing, as a community, the attitude, in one small ayah, Allah solves the problem of community. One small ayah. He says, Hold firmly on. Hold firmly on to forgiveness. Learn to get let things go. Somebody said something you didn't like, somebody looked at you a way you didn't like, somebody behaved their way, let it go. Nobody's perfect, you're not perfect, why do you expect other people to be perfect? As a community, we have to have a very forgiving attitude. No problem. Alright? And you know, again, something else we learned in this culture, in this society? Positivity. Be positive, speak positively. Positive vibes, good vibes, groovy vibes. Right? Learn to be positive. Speak positively. Positively reinforce. If Abdullah does 10 things wrong, alright, not saying anything, alright, <laughs> alright, I'm just picking on this. If Abdullah does 10 things wrong, when he does one thing right, I have to go out of my way and say, good job Abdullah, 
Jazakallah khairan Abdullah. I really appreciated that. That was really great. That was really awesome. Positively reinforced. What would be unf? Positively reinforced people. And then the million dollar question. You know, brother, there's this one guy in our community who always just makes problems. There's always one guy in every community that makes problems. In my community, there's two guys. So thank Allah you only have one guy. Alright? This is the Qur'an getting really real with us. We shouldn't be rude to people, but it's being real, it's being honest. Allah is saying, وَأَعْرِضَ عَنِ الْجَاكِمِينَ You just gotta ignore what that person says. There's always gonna be one person. You can do everything 100% right. You can do an amazing job. And you come at the end and be like, no, this was not right. I didn't like this. I'm very sorry. Jazakallah khairan for your feedback. You just gotta do what you do. Some people don't know anything but to be negative. And even about that, what, what we were taught by the Prophet give them the benefit of the doubt and just try to understand where they're coming from. Maybe that person's got a problem, a serious issue. Maybe they're, you know what we say, Parishad, maybe that person's got some major problems in their personal life and they're just venting. Have some empathy. Put an arm on their shoulder and say, you know, I'm sorry. I personally apologize. I personally apologize. We're talking about the Muslim community. Uh, you know, every Tuesday night uh, after my Sita class, we play uh, basketball with all of our students. All the students and some of the local guys, we all play basketball. We were playing basketball this past week, and that's a Dawah situation too, but nevertheless, there was this random guy on the court, and he wanted to play with us, and he played with us, and he started fighting with a couple of the guys, and he's cursing and swearing, and it's just, just ruining the whole environment. It was really bad. And a couple of the guys, our guys, our students, they got kind of upset. They got like back in his face, like, yo, bro, you calm down. Right? And he started getting even more out of it. They got really upset. And so I told our guys, quiet. I went over to him, just kind of, you know, so I just, you know, showed him some love. And I just kind of told him, I was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry some of these guys got in your face. He's like, I know, I'm really sorry about it. He's like, no problem, brother. I just want people talking to me like that. And it obviously seemed like the person was distressed. He must have been disrespected somewhere in his personal life. And he was frustrated. And he didn't want to deal with the word And he lashed out. Second, I gave him some respect. I apologized to him. He noticed that I was somehow like somebody older, if nothing else, in that group. I also happened to be their teacher, so they could notice some, some modicum of respect. But he definitely could tell I was older than everybody else. But when I went and showed him a little bit of respect, I apologized to him. There was no trouble for the rest of the night. For another hour, he was no trouble at all. And so that's a way to deal with those issues a lot of times. But if we keep the Quranic, the prophetic guidance in front, we can't go wrong. Ego aside, Allah in the Quran first. And the message of Salah is the way that God is first. Is that